Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Sunday. Today we're going to talk about, of course, USC football, a little bit of recruiting stuff, we've got some coaching stuff, some questions about the team going forward with Coach Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde. Lots of questions to get to, lots of topics we want to talk about USC Trojan football, maybe a little basketball too. We'll see if we can sneak that in. If you have any questions or comments for us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address, or if you want to give us a call, the number is 641-715-3900, extension 816-646. Hit the pound sign, leave a voicemail there. You can also leave a voicemail right from your computer at peristylepodcast.com. And if you want to subscribe to the show, leave us some positive feedback. Go to itunes.com slash Podcast. It's a great way to get a hold of us. We'd love to hear from you and get all your feedback on the show. And without further ado, I want to bring in the coach, Harvey Hyde, what is up, Coach? How are you? Well, buddy, uh, here we go again uh, with another podcast. I look forward to it. We used to count them. You remember when you used to say 252, 253, 254? Well, both of us can't count any farther than that, so we just forgot doing that. Yeah, we used to do that. It was We had episode, I think we're in the 400s or something. Oh, I have to go back and look, but we changed the format up a little bit, so now we don't we don't count each episode anymore, but we... We're having, you know, sometimes three or four a week, and we're doing this one on Sunday. We moved it up a little bit because, Coach, I know you got a busy schedule this week. We all have busy schedules. Everyone has them, <laughs> and uh, I just want to say uh, thank you for all of you who text me or tweet things, and uh, we appreciate your listening to the podcast. And uh, anytime you have any questions, if we can't answer them, we can't. If we can, we'll certainly try to do our best. And we always try to do our best. I want to thank our sponsor who's been with us for a long time, sctickets.com, Southern California tickets. If you need tickets for anything, if you want to go to a Lakers game, you can get tickets to those now. A little easier, actually. 1-800-888-7287 is the number. Or go to their website, sctickets.com, and we'll have a little more uh, information on them at the end of the show. And, uh, Coach, lots of stuff been kind of going on around the program. Some guys getting hired, some guys being rumored to be hired. Um, one of the, one of them is Clancy Pendergast, who was, you know, the defensive coordinator at USC in 2013, took a year off 2014 and was a linebacker coach in last year with the 49ers. Um, nothing official yet, but everything we've heard is that they've, you know, USC and Clancy Pendergast have come to a deal, hadn't signed yet. Um, and we had a question on that coach, so we can kind of get your comments on that. What do you think? Is that cool? Sure, anything you say. All right, let's go. So it's uh, Harold, and, and he's a NorCal Trojan fan and alum. He says, who do you think chose Clancy Pendergast, Clay Helton or Pat Hayden? Was it another, quote-unquote, extensive search, like when they were looking for a head coach? The only name that was ever seriously rumored was Clancy's. Seems like Hayden has his mind set up on one candidate and doesn't bother to interview anyone else. Clancy's defense put up some... Numbers during his last stint at USC, but does the guy really want to be here? The whole uh, distraction of him flirting with Oregon is insulting. Uh, USC should be able to have its pick of top coordinators out there. The whole process played out in a way 
that made it look like USC was begging Clancy to come back. Has anyone considered that top coaches might not want to work for a boss like Pat Hayden? It's a one, uh, it's, it's like a once prestigious pro team with lousy management that constantly leans on its past glory. And he says, in parentheses, cough Lakers. So that's Harold. Uh, hasn't even been announced yet, Coach, and he's not really happy with how this whole thing went down. Well, Harold, I don't really know what goes on behind the scenes or in the office. But I know if a head coach has been in charge of his own staff, then who are the coaches working for? Are they working for you as a head football coach, or are they working for Pat Hayden? Uh, do they want to please him, or do they want to please you? And I'll tell you, if uh, Clay Helton had been in charge of coach or hiring his own coaches, then they're in deep trouble. I really believe that because you've got to be in control of your staff. Your staff's got to know that you made the decision to have them with you. And uh, I certainly hope that Clay is going through that. I really do. And, and he's the one selecting his staff because if it goes well, uh, then nobody will say anything. Everything's perfect. But if it goes bad, then who's the one that's going to suffer from it? Him. You've heard me always talk about surround yourself with great people and good things will happen. And if you don't have great people around you, then there'll be a breakdown in that link in the chain. So you've got to be able to be the boss. You've got to be able to be in charge. And I've said it a hundred times. When I'm in a staff meeting with our staff and our football staff, I put private on the door. Meeting. Do not enter. Or private meeting. I don't want anybody coming in unless it's an emergency for a family member or wife or something out there that we need to break our meeting in. Uh, I don't like athletic directors coming in. I'll meet with them at any time, sitting in our meetings. I don't want them hearing what we're talking about because it's our private meetings as far as what we're talking about. And sometimes we talk about individuals. Sometimes we talk about players or parents or whatever it is. And that's behind closed doors. And that way I know that if this information gets out, then I've got someone on my staff who's telling somebody something. And i got to find out who that is. Because when that door is closed, it's like the FBI or CIA. Nothing leaks out because you've got to be loyal to each other and make these decisions that sometimes affect people's lives and players' lives, and uh, you've got to do it behind closed doors. I don't want administrators, this is what I'm saying, telling me who to hire or being in our staff meetings and listening to what we have to say. Yeah, and uh, to the to his point, I think – I you know I think this is more of a Clay Helton thing. I I doubt this is more Pat Hayden kind of uh, wanting that to come back. But I I think it's true that it didn't seem to be some big exhaustive search. Was there really reaching out to Dave Aranda from Wisconsin? Um, and I I think and maybe Coach, you can kind of talk about this. Clay Helton never been has never been a head coach before, but I think you feel comfortable with people that you've been around and you know the the guys he's brought in like Tyson Helton is his brother, obviously. Um, you know, Neil Calloway, who coached for his dad and, and someone he's known, you know, Clay, Hel I mean, uh, Clancy Pendergast was on the staff with, with Clay back in the day. I think Clay Helton realized this is one shot and it's more about getting people that you trust and are familiar with. It seems like that's kind of the direction he's going where they're not kind of reaching out, branching out to getting some star from somewhere else that you maybe never worked with who has a great resume. It seems like the focus is more on people that you know. And I, I think Harold and some of the other people that have wrote in and posted on the message board and tweeted us, Coach, it seems like that's where their frustration is, that it's not it's not this exhaustive search. It's more about, you know, 
getting people you're familiar with. And, you know, Clancy would be the fourth former Kiffin assistant that would be on the current USC coaching staff. So I, I think that's where kind of his question was coming from. You're exactly right. And I know for fact, and I've spoken with you about this off the air or off the podcast about coaches I know who have been mentioned in the paper all the time as far as possible uh, defensive coordinators or other positions that have never even been called, not even contacted, or their agency even contacted. And they've been very successful defensive coordinators who are, you know, West Coast guys who not only can coach, but they can recruit. And, uh, you know, you're not a very good coordinator unless you have pretty good players to coach. I mean, you know, uh, if you have great players, uh, you know, if you put them in the right place and you don't mess them up, you can win, but uh, recruiting is the name of the game, so you've got to be a good coach. You've got to be a good administrator. You've got to be a good recruiter. You've got to be all of the above to be able to be a great uh, football coach as far as being in charge of one-third of the football game, which is special teams, offense, and defense. The same thing, like you mentioned, as far as familiar faces. Again, uh, when you look at the staff that Clay Helton has uh, hired, they are all part of, like you said, or related, or have been a part of Clay Helton's past. I mean, uh, T. Martin, who's the offensive coordinator, uh, was elevated, I think, because if not only you see, supposedly, as Coach Helton says, a, a great offensive mind, but he's a great recruiter. But I can respect him as a great recruiter and an associate head coach and whatever. But as an offensive coordinator at his age at USC, what's wrong with Norm Chow? You know, Norm Chow's uh, available. Wouldn't that be something if Norm Chow ended up at UCLA again and Coach Josh Rosen? Uh, I mean, that is a huge recruiting name. Now, I'm saying I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I had him on my show this morning, and he's indicated that he wants to continue coaching. And he lives now in Southern California. I mean, exhaust everything out there. Now, maybe, you know, he's not... Uh, they're not interested, UCLA or USC and Norm Chow, but at least talk to him, find out what it might be. I would think Max Brown would get pretty excited and Sam Darnold about or Matt Fink that Norm Chow, he's only coached three Heisman Trophy winners, not to mention Philip Rivers and all the rest of them, that he's a pretty good coach and had great success with Norm when he was at USC. But I'm not saying that should be the coach. I'm saying you're exactly right, our caller Harold, and you too, Ryan, Exhaust everything. Don't always hire your friends. Hire people that are people that can enhance the program because it's hard to fire a friend. And sometimes, you know, you are insecure and you're worried about loyalty. You know, you've got to have great coaches or you're not going to be around. All right. Well, thanks for that question. And, uh, yeah, we want, I mean, the coaching search obviously is a big deal. We want to discuss that. We had one, it's kind of long, from Edwin, and uh, I'll read the first part first, kind of get your thoughts, and then there's a second part to it, Coach. Um, he said, I'm a youth football coach and had an end zone seat to the Holiday Bowl. While the end zones are terrible for any kind of perspective of yardage, gained and lost on plays, it gave me the best angle to notice two glaring things I want your perspective on. So the first one, he says, on a crucial Kessler interception, I had a clear angle where I saw the ball hit the ground. And he said, photo attached. Uh, while I, and I, I looked at the photo, I could not see the ball hitting the ground anywhere. It was completely blocked. So I, I don't have any photographic proof. I did, I didn't even hear that there was a chance that the ball had hit the ground. But he says, while I know that we had our share of calls go our way, 
I'm more surprised that our coaching staff or the officials did not at least review the play. I kept telling the fans around me that it was an incomplete pass and our offense will be back on the field. Then with this belief, I saw Wisconsin ran a play without any objection from our coaches or the officials. So I don't know if you noticed that, Coach, but that's something he'd point out to me that the photo didn't really show anything, and I haven't gone back and looked at the replay yet. Well, no, I can't remember that play uh, now because it's been a couple of weeks. Um, but if it is close, then that's what the coaches are in the booth for, to watch a replay and uh, to make sure that if they, if you should challenge the player, the officials should replay it. That's why the officials are in the in the booth. So. Uh, I don't know. This is the first time I, I've heard this, so I can't comment on it. I'm sorry, because I can't remember the play. Okay. Um, yeah, sorry about that. I, I emailed him back and forth with the photo, but, yeah, it was, it was completely the ball. I couldn't even see the ball. It was behind one of the players, so um, sorry about that. But the second part of the question, he says, on passing plays, my seat allowed me to see why our passing game is easy to shut down. On all plays that I paid attention to, to attention to, 99% of the receivers' routes consisted of either uh, comebacks of nine, uh, he said, or, I'm sorry, he said, either comebacks or nine go-slash-streak routes. And, of course, Kessler would usually ignore the routes that go beyond 20 yards, as evidenced by the last play of the game. Notice that these routes are only north-south routes and can be defended pretty easily using press coverage. I didn't see any crossing patterns, post patterns, or even in routes where the defender would usually have trouble staying with the receiver due to the natural picks that were set. It's no coincidence that the Rodgers touchdown happened when the play broke down and he ran across the end zone. I know Coach says we don't run enough screens and draws, but I think the offense is even more narrow-minded than that. We lack variety on our route tree, and it's disturbing that the so-called quote-unquote new staff that will be running the offense next year is the one making these mistakes now fight on would love to hear your feedback from edwin edwin i think you're exactly right uh, it's not a complete passing game like uh, it doesn't have series in the running game or passing game against certain type of coverages you run certain type of routes and you got to stretch your defense and take advantage of your, your speed and i never really saw that happen even with the tight ends we've talked about that week after week after week so no i don't think they take advantage of the entire field in the passing game or the play action pass but against Wisconsin, you didn't have a lot of time to look around the field, but they never did make any adjustments in their blocking rules. I mean, they were pressured the whole day, and Kessler was pressured the, the whole day, and uh, they really never made any type of adjustments to doing something different, maximum protection, block eight if you have to, and throw to, you know, they're, they're, when they're up there, if they're playing man, they run crossing routes, as you say, and deep post and corners and crossing routes and, do some things, but you got to be able to block somebody first. And, uh, you know, it, it just wasn't there because of the pressure that Wisconsin put on USC. So I agree with all the things you said, but in the Holiday Bowl, too, the pressure on Kessel was unbelievable. All right. Cool. Thanks for that one. Um, kind of sticking with the offense, Coach, we have Ryan wrote in. I like your name, Ryan. Uh, he says, love the podcast and the honest coverage. Um, he says, anyways, why – at SC, don't we adapt and run a combo uh, of mainly the Ohio State downhill power run first offense as well as some QB under center run game slash play action? We don't have the blocking tight ends or fullbacks anymore to be solely power run, a Stanford or Michigan type. Having the quarterback under center some at SC is needed 
but utilizing the Ohio State run offense, he said not the quarterback running elements, would be, would be a great way to utilize all of our talented skill position playmakers. As you might be able to tell, I'm a big Tom Herman fan. After the first Stanford loss of the year, I was hoping we'd be able to fire Sark and hire Sermon after the 2016 season. Got half my wish. Fight on from Ryan. Well, Ryan, you know, I, I believe that there's teams in the country using the USC offense everywhere. You remember it used to be Woody Hayes and uh, Bo Schimbiker and John McKay. Uh, when you get better players, you don't beat yourself. R. Parsegian, you just line up and beat people to death. And when, when you play each other, it's like a world war. Well, you know, uh, that philosophy at USC is sort of dwindled away. Now back at Michigan, Harbaugh's brought it back. At Stanford, David Shaw continued it. At Ohio State, yes, they have a power game, but they've got really athletic quarterbacks where they take advantage of their running ability. So they have adjusted their running game to the ability of their quarterback, and you've got to be able to run an offense that fits your talent. I say that over and over and over. Now, USC has been recruiting quarterbacks that are the pro-style type of quarterbacks, so they should be running that type of offense, the offense that does have a power running game, play-action pass, and still can spread the field and take advantage of the throwing ability of the quarterbacks and the great receivers. It's a combination of both. You've got to be able to run the football and pass the football. And I don't feel in the last two staffs, now Lane Kiffin has learned a lot from Nick Saban. He's a complete different coach than what he used to be. But he's got a guy, he's learning under some leadership of how to run an offense and how not to be soft. USC has been soft in the running game under the last two staffs. They've talked about running the football, but have they sincerely believed in running the football? They've enjoyed throwing the bubble screens and throwing the ball all over the field and winning games because of great athletes and great playmakers. But you didn't have a real system in place. They had no identity. Right now under the new staff, there's got to be an identity, both on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball. And I think just in the NFL playoffs this weekend, you've been able to see how important field goal kicking is in the kicking game. They've got to emphasize that. And with John Baxter back, I think John Baxter's learned a lot. Not that he wasn't a great coach, but I don't think you'll see any longer if Clay Helton is in charge, the shifting all around the field, the two-point plays. Uh, you never knew what formation they were going to be on special teams. John Baxter being with John Harbaugh, I didn't see that at Michigan, yet the special teams at Michigan were excellent under his tutorship. If he brings that same philosophy back to USC, then the kicking game at USC would be much better. Now, as far as kickers are concerned, place kickers and so on, they've got to really improve that area. When you get into the red zone, you've got to be able to count on three points. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think you're going to see an improvement with John Baxter in there. Um Familiar face, but I think it's going to help having a full-time special teams coach. You know, that was one thing I was talking about just real quick on the side, Coach. Uh, people were asking on our message boards about it. And I, I think having a, a full-time special teams coach is an important thing. Um, you know, we've seen people use it. We've seen people not. I don't think Johnny Nansen really was a special teams expert. I mean, organizing things. But having someone that actually knows kickers, knows snappers, I think is a big deal. And now that you have four graduate assistants, it might be hard to find one. But maybe having a graduate assistant be a special teams coordinator as well wouldn't be a bad thing. I remember Pete Carroll's special teams were bad. If you remember the Iowa game in the Orange Bowl, they ran the opening kickoff back for a touchdown. 
Then he brought in Dennis Slutak, two years as a graduate assistant running special teams, and special teams got good. And then he went back to no special teams coordinator that kind of got bad again. But what, did you have a philosophy on that as far as having a full time, uh, someone dedicated to special teams? Right. I had a full team, a uh, full uh, time special teams coach, Scott O'Brien, who ended up being special teams coach of the year in the NFL with, uh, New England. He started as a GA and I brought him along and he got the, uh, he stayed with me. Then he went to Cleveland, Baltimore, all around, I ended up, uh, about 15 years, 20 years to Bill Belichick. I believe in a special teams coach, yet I believe that all the coaches on the staff have got to be part of special teams. They've got to coach special teams. Their players have got to see they care about special teams. Now, the quarterback coach that I had never coached special teams. During that period of time when there were special teams going on, the quarterback coach would go down and work on techniques with the quarterback because they can't get enough time on throwing techniques and the different drills that quarterbacks have to do and and audibleizing and, and looking at different looks and, and the certain things they have to do. So my quarterback coach never did coach special teams, but all my other coaches were involved in special teams, including myself. I coached the field goal, the PAT team, and the kickoff return team. Why? How can players think that that area is an important area of the game unless the head coach is involved in it? I remember coaching the Japan Bowl, and Johnny Majors was coaching the East team, he coached the entire special teams and at Tennessee, too. He coached all. He was a special teams coach at the University of Tennessee. So as a head coach, you've got to show interest in all phases of the game. You just can't walk around. You've got to let people know you're not only interested, but you can coach it, too. And you get involved. So your whole staff, I had my entire staff, including myself, coach special teams except for the quarterback coach, which needed that extra time with the quarterbacks. Cool. Makes sense, coach. Thanks for that insight there. Um, Luke had a question. It was kind of along the lines of the smash mouth power football stuff. He said, why would Coach Hyde tell Clay, hey, Clo- excuse me, tell Clay Helton to go to Michigan to learn how to get a smash mouth power football team when the only reason Michigan has a smash mouth power football team is because they stole Tim Drevno from us. So he's talking about the offensive line coach. We stole, right. we stole Tim Drevno from Harbaugh and the 49ers. We had smash mouth football when we had Drevno and the 49ers lost it when they lost Drevno. Harbaugh never looked like he had a smash mouth football team without Drevno. Drevno took all these raw offensive linemen and made them look great. Then without Drevno, they only look okay. Stanford had the luxury of having Drevno for many, many years until Harbaugh left. Drevno turned Stanford from a bunch of patsies to tough guys. Uh, just like he did to the Michigan Cream Puffs. The only reason why Harbaugh looks good is because of Drevno. Believe me, Ryan, anyone close to Harbaugh knows what I just stated. Frankly, I'm shocked that Coach Hyde's comment to go to Michigan and ask Harbaugh, didn't Coach Hyde watch SC football the year Drevno was here? Thanks for Luke. They, I'm, I'm not going to – that's probably the most times we've had the word Drevno in one question. And Luke seems like a very big Tim Drevno fan, Coach, I'm just going to say. Well, I'm proud of him. I know all about the guy with Cal State Fullerton – Stanford, everywhere he's been. I think he's a hell of a coach. When I say go to Michigan, I don't say go to Michigan to see Devil, Devil, Tim uh, offensive line coach. I say that's Harbaugh's program, right? He isn't going to coach the offensive line like that unless Jim Harbaugh wants that type of program. And obviously he's fit right into Harbaugh. They work well together. He hired him away from USC. And uh, he's a hell of a coach. I'm not saying he's not a hell of a coach. But you've got to find out what it takes to be that type of football program. You can't just 
you just can't have that smash mouth type of attitude without your head coach believing in it. You've got to be able to have the philosophy from the head coach. It all starts at the top. And you've heard me say a hundred times, I'm going to look, I'm going to tell you, endorse what you're saying. Surround yourself with great people and you got a chance for success. And Tim is that type of coach. So I'm endorsing everything you say. Maybe you ought to go back and talk to him then as an offensive line coach, but he's part of the offensive staff. He's not the offensive coordinator, but he teaches smash mouth football. And at Stanford, they're still continuing doing it. So I should have said Stanford. I did say Stanford, but I don't think David Shaw would tell you what they're doing. All right. Um, hey, we got a voicemail question for you, Coach. Uh, here we go. Hi, Ryan. Jackson SF in San Francisco. Love the show. This message can be taken by any of you guys. I've gotten to the point where I am indifferent about USC football. Do I care about USC? Yes, I'll always love it. Do I need to go to the games or watch them anymore? I didn't even watch the Holiday Bowl. My concern is that Clay is getting a bye for next year. It is unfair to the fans and to the players to expect this. I know the Sunshine Pumpers will want to set the bar always low with million excuses for why Clay can't uh, excel next year. Number one, our offense is loaded. We're a three-deep attack hole center and guard next year. We have an all-American wide receiver. We're loaded at uh, tight end with um, McNamara and Emer Tabebe and a bunch of other guys. We have two stud tailbacks. The only question mark is quarterback, and he's a former high school All-American five-star quarterback. On defense, we have seven, yes, seven former Five-star high school All-American recruits next year, plus young studs like Wosu, Held, Utili Ross, and others. We have more talent than every other school in the Pac-12, and as much talent as Alabama or ND, who are also reloading. Stanford's reloading. Everybody's reloading. We have more talent, yet our expectations are so low. Why does Clay get a pass? He needs to win at least nine games next year, and the fan base needs to get behind us that he has to do this. Please uh, let me know your thoughts. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Well, I don't know if he's getting a pass, Ryan. I think people expect this type of program. I don't hear anybody saying that uh, they're going to be happy or satisfied with an 8-6 season again next year. Not that uh, this year was all of Clay Helton's uh, to do. Uh, the 2015 season, I think people expect him to win. And he does have all those great players. I think you've heard me say I wouldn't exchange the roster with any roster in the Pac-12 over and over and over. They've had recruiting classes in the top three or four or first like last year for the last several years. This year the recruiting class isn't as ranked as high, but we'll see what happens as they close here. They've still got six scholarships to, uh, to give if all the verbal commits that are currently verbally committed come. So uh, I don't think there's any pass there. I think everybody expects USC to be good. But again, uh, USC is in a position now where it's a little bit different than what it used to be in the Pac-12. And I'm not trying to say that, it, that, that they shouldn't win. They should win. But what I'm trying to say, the other programs have caught up with USC because of the sanctions they've been through and some of the things that have happened at USC. And uh, USC needs to get back the fear factor and people wanting to play them, not wanting to play them, as far as they used to come into the Coliseum and they'd say, let's get in there and get out of there and let's try not to get people hurt. Well, they don't have that now. You go into the Coliseum and you beat 
USC and the Coliseum. And when other teams see other teams beating USC, well, they feel they can beat you too. So you've got to get back where I said this, I think on Sunday morning, I ran into Ron Yeri at the Rose Bowl. Ron and I were talking. I said, Ron, what did you used to think about before the game? And he used to tell me, and I apologize if I said this, Ryan, on the show or the podcast before. He says, all I used to think about is how bad I was going to hurt the guy I play across from. I would look for something that would get me mad on the films, and I, then I'd think all week, guy, is he really a bad guy when I'm going to do to him or not? And I'm not talking about dirty football. I'm talking about playing football, the type of football that USC is noted for. And right now, Stanford is playing that type of football. Take a look at their record. And as somebody said earlier when they called their, their guys that Tim Debo made great players, well, they came in with not the rankings of the players that USC has gotten, but yet it's the philosophy of your program, the practice schedule and the shoots and the boards and all the things that make you tough and knowing that you don't expect anything else but the best. So that's the only thing I can say. They've got great talent. And, Ryan, I'm going to ask you this question. I have not heard anything about Bryce Dixon. You talk about all the great potential players at USC for next year. Bryce Dixon is an All-American tight end, great receiver. Where, where, what's the talk on him? He's on scholarship. Is he coming out for the spring, or is he going to be on full scholarship the rest of his life at SC? Yeah, no, I think that ship has sailed. For everything I've heard, Coach, when they expelled him, they didn't really want him to have anything to do with the football team. But he, you know, outside, he fought for the ability to be able to still be in school. But I don't anticipate him coming back. And yeah, that's the one thing I had an issue with. It. The caller said that uh, USC stacked the tight end. I, I don't agree that they're stacked the tight end. They, you know, they got some guys, they got some bodies, but. No one like a Bryce Dixon who could be a, a difference maker. So having him not be around, I think, really hurt. Well, they, they don't have the type of tight ends that that what I consider a tight end. They have the type of players that are big receivers playing tight end. Uh, tight end to me is a guy that's 6'6", 265 pounds, that dominates the line of scrimmage, and when you're throwing the ball, nobody wants to tackle him. And, uh, or you throw him routes that drag routes, curl routes, seam routes, you put him in the slot, throw him the ball, and you can't even defend him because he's so big. But uh, they, you know, they have had a different philosophy. This is why I'm saying they haven't had the philosophy to run the football. But their tight ends have all been what? Receiver type of tight ends. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. And I don't think they're recruiting a tight end this year, except for that kid at Concord, De La Salle, uh, number 16, I can't pronounce his name, that played in the Army game the other day, caught a touchdown pass. He looks like the type of tight end that could do that, right? Right. Yeah. So Devin Asiasi uh, is a four-star athlete, but he'll probably be a tight end. And they did uh, carry Angeline from the East Coast. Um, so there's there's a couple of potential guys uh, on there. We'll have to. But see. he's a receiver. He's a receiver. Yeah. No, he's he's end. more of a six, receiver. Six six two thirty. I mean, you know. Yeah, Asiasi's like, times right now. Yeah, Asiasi's like two sixty five or so. So he's definitely. Yeah, good. that's what I mean. On the line of scrimmage, you know. Let the linebackers know that, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come down on you, I'm gonna block you, you know, and then when I catch the ball, I'm gonna punish you. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, we got two more. One, a defensive question, and one actually talks about basketball. So we'll, uh, kind of get your thoughts on that. USC's basketball is doing pretty well right now. So this one's from Iman, or Iman in, in Baltimore. Um, could you ask Coach Harvey Hyde to please explain the 3-4, three, 4-3, four, four, three, Five two defensive schemes in layman's term, focusing on the defenses and the benefit or the differences and benefits from each scheme. Thanks for your awesome podcast. I'm hooked on them. I've been. All right. 
Excuse me. I'm sorry, Ryan. No, yeah. No, I said I'm from Baltimore. I was just saying his name again. Okay. Okay. Well, or a 5-2 Iman. and a 5-4 is basically the same defense. That means you have a nose guard. You got two linebackers that are over the offensive guards. You've got defensive ends or defensive tackles, whatever you want to call them, that normally play on the outside shoulder when you run a regular 5-52-54 defense of the tackle. And you've got two outside linebackers or defensive ends, whatever you want to call them, that play outside, one on the tight end, either outside shoulder normally, and the other one uh, playing either off the line of scrimmage or on the line of scrimmage toward the split end side. If they come out in two tight ends, then you play a balanced defense the same way. One way to beat it, and you want to keep defensive uh, straight, is always come out in a two tight end offense, and you'll be able to balance out any different defense you have. So a 52 and a 54 are basically the same defense. Cover the nose, linebackers over the outside shoulders of the guards, uh, defensive ends, I call them defensive tackles in our scheme on the outside shoulder. Now you move them head up and do different things with stunts and so on. Uh, depending how big the splits get, you don't want people to split you out and then you have great big seams. The farther the guy goes, the more you've got to be able to take care of your area and gap and so on, so you move down. Because otherwise the guy might take a four-foot, five-foot split. You can't be playing on the outside shoulder. You've got to be able to do different type of things, jump in the gap and stack your linebackers or do different things. Otherwise, They'll have great running lanes. And then the outside guys, like I expense, uh, I call them, uh, I used to call them, uh, uh, what I call them? Stud in and weekend. I didn't like the term weekend. We call it something else. I can't remember. But, uh, that's what a, a 52 defense is. And you normally use that because you've got, uh, you, you don't have as good a pass rush, but you blitz with your linebackers, but you can cover more. You've got an extra guy to cover. Now, the 4-3 defense is you cover the defensive guards. Where the linebackers were, you've got down defensive tackles, defensive guards, whatever you want to call them. They normally play head up. You can move them outside or inside, but normally they're head up. And their job is to keep uh, the guards or keep the center, depending off the linebacker. Because the linebacker is the middle linebacker that plays over the center now. So the nose guard is now where the middle linebacker plays. Then your defensive ends play over the t- offensive tackle normally outside shoulder, and then you've got your linebackers uh, that play either depending what look you want to run out of your 4-3, or you, you either play them head up on the or outside shoulder of the tight end, and the other one can play stacked behind the tackle uh, or defensive end, depending on the down guy on the weak side, or you can play on the line of scrimmage. But normally you'll play him in the gap or behind a defensive uh, tackle there where he can still fill it to the inside, and depending if they you know, what they what they do, uh, if you want to put him over in the defensive end, you can blitz him more, blitz him inside, and do different type of twists and so on with these guys to get more of a pass rush. you got more big-on-big type of guys rather than blitzing your linebackers. Well, I've always felt that, you know, when, I, when, we, when we ran the 50 defense, I had quick guys blitzing and stunning and, you know, stand-up guys. And then we went, we shifted down into a four-man look. We did a lot of different types of things. I liked to mix it up on defense. I like to tact on defense. I like them to have to think on what defense we're in, not just come out and know what defense we're in. I like to move before the snap of the ball so that they thought they understood the defense. The quarterback started to audibleize and we would move to something else. So we saw a lot of teams go on color all the time or on first sound to catch us in our movement. But at least we got them to not be able to audibleize by doing that. So, uh, you know, you've got different philosophies, and I hope I understood that or uh, you know, explained that to you. 
That's a real quick evaluation to tell you the difference in the two. All right. Well, thanks for that one, Coach. And then we got one last one for you. Here you go. Hey, guys. This is uh, Daniel out of Los Angeles. Uh, of course, love the Paris Style podcast. Uh, this is for uh, any one statement. Um, just wanted to you know, give a quick shout-out to the USC men's basketball team. I mean, amongst all the turmoil and all the craziness going on with the football team, I think the fans should get out there and support them uh, for the Arizona game coming up. I don't if there's a Paris Style before Saturday. Um, yeah, you know, support the USC football, uh, sorry, basketball team, 13-3. and three. That's, that's a great job. Uh, Andy Enfield is doing an amazing job. So I just wanted to do a quick shout-out to that. Um, you know, if, while, while everyone is uh, worried about the football team, we can, we can all get out to uh, Galen Center and support the basketball team and, you know, and uh, take our mind off this football stuff for a while. And, I mean, they seem to be winning. They, want, they, they, they play a, a great uh, up-tempo style offense. It's very exciting basketball. Uh, I like it. And the Clancy Pentagraph hire, I think, is pretty good. Uh, I, hope I, ever, I hope all goes well with USC uh, football. Um, all right, guys. You guys do an amazing job. Keep up the great work. Thanks. Well, thank you very much. Uh, first of all, I want to shout out to the basketball program, too. It's amazing what winning can do. I mean, I would go to games the last couple of years. There'd be nobody there. But all of a sudden, with winning, winning solves everything, guys. It's tremendous. Uh, the big win, uh, what, four overtimes uh, last night. Uh, Against Arizona, uh, yeah. Uh, wasn't that uh, The Arizona schools had a tough weekend in L.A. They really did. And uh, I, I have to take my hat off to Annie Enfield and the players there. That uh, Everybody's excited. They're 14-3. and three. Uh, 6,800 people in the Galen Center uh, on uh, Saturday night. Uh, that's exciting. It's always exciting to win and be successful. And I, I agree with the guy 100%. Let's fill it up. Fill up the Galen Center. And also uh, the same type of enthusiasm should be for all sports uh, at any university that you support or go to or went to or whatever, or your kids go to or high school program and all of them. But winning is the number one thing you have to have. It's the, let's say, the enthusiasm of alumni and students. People want to go to the game. Students want to go. The excitement of being able to know you're going to celebrate after the game because of the great game that you just witnessed. I mean, that's what it's all about. There's been studies done that show the number of applications at universities are always up when their athletic programs are doing well. Contributions at universities are always up when their athletic programs are doing well. All of that is, is, is together as far as morale of the students. The whole thing starts with football. That's the number one thing. Why? It's the number one thing that happens at the beginning of the school year. If you have a great football program, everybody wants you to go to the game. The morale is up. The fraternities are having fun. The sororities are having fun. And the alumni are having fun, and so are the donors. So, uh, you know, athletics are very, very important. Some administrators just don't get it. And uh, it's very, very important for the uh, university success. Yeah, big win. So uh, it's funny. USC's 3-1 and one in conference for basketball. The only game they lost was at Washington. They had a 22-point lead in that game. They could easily be undefeated uh, in the conference. So, yeah, great start for Andy Enfield. Really terrible first couple of years. And then this year they've turned it around. they got UCLA coming up on Wednesday. So, uh, yeah, they, we don't talk a whole lot of basketball on the Peristyle Podcast, but, you know, we, we can talk some. So if you have questions, you can send them in there. But, Coach, hey, great stuff. Thanks so much uh, for coming on. 
on your Sunday. I know you got lots of stuff to do, but thank you for for you know carving out a little bit of time for us on the Peristyle Podcast. Always time for you, Ryan. Always time for you. And of course, uh, I want to thank you for being on our radio show the other night, USC Trojan Talk, which airs in Las Vegas and in the Inland Empire. I want to thank you. It was really great uh, having you on. You informed me of a lot of things, and I know our listeners. So I want to thank you for that too. I'm off to Vegas in the morning to be at a race and sports book to have a show up there on the big game tomorrow night, Ryan. Now, who do you like in that game? Well, I'm not going to ask you that. Let's just stick to USC. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good, Coach. Well, thanks again. Thanks for coming on. And everyone else, hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle Podcast. Tune in next time, and we have a quick message here from Southern California Tickets. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.